Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, I've got a shorter sermon for us this morning, timed it at just under 15 minutes um, with all the littles in here. Uh, So let's jump right in. Uh, As we celebrate Christmas morning, we come to Luke chapter 2, the birth narrative of Jesus according to Luke, um, uh, which tells us uh, in some detail about what was going on at the time and what's remarkable right off the bat as you heard Dodds read, uh, is that the story of Jesus' birth sounds somewhat ordinary. Uh, humble, certainly, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about here. It just sounds ordinary. Luke brings us into the details of what's going on in the culture around. He tells us about this Roman census and the journey that all people were making to their hometowns. Um, and then almost includes the birth of Jesus as, oh, and Mary had her son. Doesn't even use Jesus' name. And so in this way, I think we're brought into the reality of what I want us to consider for a few minutes this morning, that Christmas is in many ways an engagement in two things that are going on at the same time for God's people all the time. On the one hand, we have anticipation for the arrival of God's promises. And on the other hand, we have the affairs of ordinary life. I tell my daughters often that their words matter. Um, I remind them that when they speak, Um, Their words are important. Their words are powerful. They should be thoughtful, considerate, confident in their words. On the one hand, this is because words can be used to build up or to destroy. Words are powerful. You can hurt people with words. You can also help and bring healing with words. But on the other hand, being a girl or a boy or a man or a woman of your word is also important, meaning that if you say you'll do something, if you give your word that you'll do something, you need to do that thing. Because if you make a practice of not following through with what you say you're going to do, then your words will stop meaning as much to the people around you. As you know, you don't need to be a Christian to to believe that words matter. It's a pretty easy argument to make. But as Christians, words are particularly important for us. We believe in a God who created all things through fiat, through spoken words. Uh, And God made us in his image. And one of the first tasks that he gave to humanity was naming things, was using our words creatively to give meaning and purpose. Um, In a world marked by sin and suffering, we know as Christians that all will be well because God has given us his word that all will be well. God has made very many great and precious promises about things being well. And rather than just promising things and then staying detached from the world, the Bible tells a story of God repeatedly engaging in creation to make good on his promises, to make good on his word. Um, We see this as early as the Garden of Eden when God is described as walking with Adam in the garden. God is physically, tangibly present with Adam and Eve in the garden. Fast forward to the story of the Exodus where God's people are in slavery in Egypt and they cry out to God for help and God 
shows up. He doesn't just give them the materials to save themselves from Egypt. He reveals himself to them. He meets with them. He physically, tangibly, miraculously delivers them out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the land that he had promised to give them. Repeatedly throughout the history of God's people, God speaks and guides and performs mighty works to save and sustain and preserve his people. And the birth of Jesus Christ, as we've been considering for the past few sermons, um, is the prime example of God making good on his promises. At Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of the oldest of God's promises of redemption from back in Genesis chapter three. In the face of sin, God promised that he would send one born of a woman who would be bruised by the serpent, but who would nevertheless crush the head of the serpent, securing victory and salvation for his people. And this promise has come crashing into the present through two blessed women whose stories we've thought about over the past few weeks. Uh, Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth, the mother of John, the forerunner to the Messiah, and then Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah himself. Every year during Advent, we engage in this wonderful story of God making good on his promise to send the one who would come to make all things new, to bring light to the world. At the same time, though, as Luke brings us into the story, we see that history is progressing and life is going on. Listen to how Luke describes what's going on. Starting in verse one, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So to give a translation of this, it's tax time. All of the people in Rome have been commanded by the emperor, Caesar Augustus, to go to their hometown so they can be registered, counted, so that appropriate taxes can be assessed. And this is a big deal for the people at this time. One of my favorite Christmas movies for the past few years to watch with our kids. Um, It's great even if you don't have kids. It's called The Star. It's an animated movie. Um, the music's great. It's, it's the nativity story, the story of the birth of Jesus told from the perspective of animals um, who are following kind of Mary and Joseph on their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And of course, like many movies that tell the story of Jesus' birth, there's a bunch of details in it that aren't explicitly in scripture because the scriptures aren't super detailed uh, about many things. And so, but I do think that it's a reasonably faithful portrayal of this journey in many ways. In particular, it captures the fact that this is an arduous journey. Joseph, Mary's husband, is portrayed as a human being, as a man with concerns. Things don't go his way. He gets into arguments. He frets about how he's going to keep his wife safe, um, how he's going to raise the Messiah. You know, it's just, it's this, we're brought into this physical, tangible, real story of what it would have been like to make this arduous journey at tax time. And the point is this. If we pause and consider for a moment, we realize that God's people weren't just sitting on their hands waiting for a sign from God. One of the things that I think Luke invites us to notice in the context of this story uh, is that this is how God works. God engages in history among and through real people in real time as they face the real concerns of life in the real world. In this way, Christmas is, this is how Christmas is a reminder that the Christian life is about two things going on at the same time. On the one hand, you have these glorious heavenly realities. We're witnessing the fulfillment of all of God's promises 
uh, which find their yes and amen in Christ. And on the other hand, we're also focused on earthly realities. Luke points us to the fact that life is continuing to go on as normal. Uh, and there's a lot going on. So you have these heavenly realities and these earthly realities and navigating these two realities, holding them in tension with one another can be incredibly difficult. Back then, among God's people, the anticipation for the coming Messiah, um, as we've talked about for the past few weeks, and as we've considered even in previous years, if you know the story, anticipation for the coming Messiah was common. At the time that Jesus was born, uh, rabbis had all kinds of opinions about who the Messiah would be, what he would look like, where he would come, what his ministry would look like. Um, Every time a woman had a child or a woman was with child, she would wonder, is this a boy? Is this going to be the Messiah who God has promised? And so there's this great anticipation for the coming of the Messiah, but there's also been a lot of time that's passed. And there's a lot of concerns of ordinary life that have come up. And so it would have been difficult for them to hold these two realities, the heavenly realities of God's promises and the earthly realities of their lives and concerns in this life uh, together. Um, Fast forward into the present day, we know this struggle well. Kids know this. At Christmas time, speaking of Christmas time, kids love presents. They spend all year waiting for Christmas presents. And they need to be reminded time and again that Christmas is not primarily about Christmas presents, but about Jesus, who gave us the most precious gift of all, himself. Adults know this, um, not just about Christmas time, but in the context of our everyday lives, there's things like jobs, things that need to be bought, meals that need to be made, friendships that need to be built, going on dates, taking your kids to sports practices, and stuff. It can be easy to get caught up in the things of everyday life in a way that clouds our vision for the heavenly reality of the kingdom of God and what God is doing in and among us. Not that the affairs of our daily lives are somehow unimportant, but so often we can get so focused on the here and now, on what we can see and touch, on what's right in front of us, that we lose sight. Uh, the, 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 the real hope that awaits us gets eclipsed by those things. It's a difficult tension. It was for them back then, it is for us today. But in the midst of this reality, even when his people are not necessarily always waiting for him with full focus and with bated breath at every moment, God breaks in. Verse six of our passage, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him uh, in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Not when the fullness of the preparation of God's people was complete, God sent forth his son. Not when the people were ready for him, God sent Jesus. It wasn't when they got their minds right or their hearts right. It was in the fullness of God's time in accordance with his plan. In fact, precisely when they weren't, uh, when they weren't ready for him that he was sent to make all things new. And this is good news for us even today because the Christian life is a battle. Even today on this side of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, on this side of the light of the world having come into the world, uh, while Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises, we also know from Jesus himself that God's plan has yet to fully unfold. We're still waiting. We're still waiting for our faith to be made sight. We're still waiting for that which God has promised to us, to do in us and through us and for us. We're still waiting for that to come fully to fruition. 
And in the waiting, it is all too easy for the concerns of this life, for the things that we can see and understand to distract us from the things that God is doing, that God has promised, that God has invited us to. And the good news is that even though God's work in our hearts is, is not yet complete, even though we get distracted by the desires and cares of life, God isn't waiting for us to get it together. Even when his people are not waiting for him to move and to work with bated breath, God breaks in to the present moment to bring renewal. And this is what I want to pause, want for us to invite us to pause uh, and consider this morning, on Christmas morning. Advent is a time of waiting, of slowing down to consider what it is that we're actually waiting for. For considering the tension between the heavenly realities of what God is doing and what he's promised and the earthly realities of our daily lives and ask God to refocus us on what is most important. So what are you waiting for? If you take a moment and slow down and ask the question, consider the question actually, what, what is it that you're waiting for? Is it presence? Is it a day that you're less busy or less stressed? Is it a spouse? Is it kids who eventually will have been raised to adulthood as healthy and happy humans? Is it political sanity, the end of government corruption or fake news? Is it a sense of personal peace? Is it victory in the face of temptation or sin? Whatever it is, let me remind you of what is ultimately true for every person who has come to know Jesus. God has promised that you will be fruitful and multiply. God has promised that the ministry of the church cannot be thwarted. God has promised that his kingdom will continue to grow and expand until Christ comes back to reclaim his beautiful and perfected bride. You are more than you often think. You are loved by God. You are an eternal soul. You are more than your job. You're even more than your family. The home that you're building here is intended to be a beautiful place of hospitality and warmth and love and light, but it is a temporary outpost before we arrive in the new heavens and new earth. Revelation 21 says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This sojourn, this is what we're waiting for. And you don't need to do anything to bring this about. It is yours in Christ by the mercy of God. Just as Christ came into the world, not when we were ready for it, so this will happen, not because we do anything for it, but because God has so promised it to us in Christ. And until then, the good news of Christmas is that Christ has come, that Christ is here now by his spirit, inviting us to abide in him, to enjoy fellowship and intimacy with him, to invite him into our waiting, to follow him as our good shepherd. Often we get distracted but even with an oft-distracted people, God is nevertheless always bringing about his purposes in and through us. And so take this morning and today to enjoy the God who makes good on his promises in his time through you and for you. 
Consider what you're waiting for and what may be distracting you from what he's doing. And ask him to draw near to you, to fill you with his spirit, to empower you to walk the narrow way, following the footsteps of Jesus, of navigating the tension of life in this world and the heavenly realities that God has brought us into in the new birth into his kingdom as we await the final consummation of those heavenly realities. Merry Christmas, Sojourn. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we bless you that when the fullness of time had come, you sent forth your son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. We praise you that the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us and that there were those who saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. We bless you that for this purpose, Jesus was born and for this purpose, he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. We bless you that the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost, that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And that the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Lord, we receive the saying as trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the, even the foremost. God, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus for our sake. We worship you and we give you the glory on Christmas morning. In Jesus' name, amen.